Welcome to another episode of the Creative on Purpose broadcast, conversations about finding fulfillment through more meaningful work. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Creative on Purpose, available on Amazon, or visit BeCreativeOnPurpose.com to get started with free chapters. Let's meet today's guest. Welcome back to another broadcast of the Creative on Purpose Roundtable series. Today's topic is creativity and stoicism. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Creative on Purpose, available on Amazon, but I'd rather you visit BeCreativeOnPurpose.com to learn more and get started with a free preview. Let's meet today's panelists, Greg Sadler and Scott Truly. Welcome to the broadcast. Would you each introduce yourself and share a project you're currently working on or excited about? And Greg, let's start with you. Well, so I'm Greg Sadler, and uh, I think a lot of your, your viewers know me as the editor of Stoicism Today. I do a lot of work on Stoic philosophy, but also work on, on other traditions of philosophy as a way of life. And, uh, you know, I've got a ton of different balls in the air, so to speak, as far as projects go. But I'm actually going to push one that, that Scott Cerulli and I um, are, are kind of kicking around. Um, he and I have been, been working through Aristotle's rhetoric for the last, what, about year and a half or so. Yeah. Yeah. And so Scott's a friend and a, and a client. And one of the things that we've been talking about is um, writing a book together that would help people going into the music business and perhaps other creative businesses um, not get taken advantage of learning how to apply critical thinking skills, how to see through people's bogus pitches and arguments and how to, how to do sort of teleological thinking uh, that is thinking about where you want to get to and, and figuring out what the proper means to it are and not getting sucked into the means that so many other people are willing to sell you <laughs> as a package in order to do that. Uh, I was amazed talking with Scott at, at just how, you know, how much people can pay for, for these sorts of uh, services. Do you speak very euphemistically? So that's that's one big project that we're going to be working on this summer. That's fantastic. So I didn't realize, Scott, that that musicians get taken advantage of out there. Really, <laughs> I, I, I was I was not aware that that happened. Uh, so Scott, really, would you please introduce yourself and tell us about a project you're excited about, other than the project you're doing with Greg? Yeah, well, Greg took that one already. So uh, my name's Scott Cerulli. Um, I'm a Boston-based musician. I do a lot of traveling and work as a professional musician. I'm also at Berklee College of Music um, teaching there. Um, I guess I'll push a project that I'm doing now that's completely unique, something I've never done. I'm doing a, uh, I'm collaborating on a, a show with a, with a dance company and it's, uh, the compositions uh, came upon uh, improvisation with the dancers, which I've never done when I'm on stage, I'm uh, responding to sound. Um, I had to kind of throw care to the room and say, uh, I don't know what I'm doing here, but, uh, you know, so Catherine Hooper is the um, director of Osama Dance, and he's, we put together a show that's going on April 28th and 29th at Larkham Theater in, uh, in Beverly, Mass., and um, it's been great. It's been very humbling, and it's been a great learning experience. So it might kind of be relevant to today. Who knows? Awesome. Well, that's really exciting. I uh, so Scott, I'm going to ask when you speak if you could just lean in a little bit because you are still just a little bit down in the mix. Um, 
So I was teaching, uh, guest instructing at Martin Taylor's Guitar Camp in um, the Catskills last summer, and I got to work with Lawrence Juber, who is doing who's doing similar work. He's he's working on a production on the life of Dan Fogelberg of all. I mean, I just thought that was really interesting. Wow. So yeah, so plenty of meat in 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 uh, your your project as well. Well, of course, we're here to talk about stoicism and creativity and how creativity can make us better stoics and how stoicism can make us uh, help us in our creative endeavors. So I think it's appropriate to first, we'll start with um, Greg's expertise and we'll talk, uh, Greg, what, what is stoicism and why should we care? Well, it's an, it's an ancient philosophy, uh, has its origin in, you know, Athens uh, with this guy, Zeno. And um, that's a good question. Why should we care, right? Uh, there's plenty of ancient philosophies that are, that are fallen by the wayside. Um, Sto- I think the answer to that is in what it is that, that Stoicism gives people. So it provides this comprehensive framework. I, I know a lot of people try to life hack it, but it really doesn't work well when you split it up into a l- bunch of different little life hacks. It's, it's a systematic way of living and putting things into perspective and prioritizing. And, you know, I'm going to actually be a little bit crude here. It's a way to see through your own bullshit and to, you know, rigorously analyze how you're approaching things in terms of your mindset, uh, your practices, your emotions, and then to start working on those. And, and, and it's not unique in that. There's other ancient philosophies that, that do that as well, the Aristotelian, the Platonic tradition. Um, but Stoicism is really powerful in certain respects um, that I think are helpful for, for creative people. Awesome. And Scott, you've been studying Stoicism with, with Greg. What, what, what would your elevator pitch or description of Stoicism be? Um, yeah, that's a great question because I've been using Stoicism. I've, I'm kind of new to it in the last year. And it's a, it, at first, it was a great benchmark for me, right? So the first thing that struck me is what you have control over. And in the business, this is great because when we're 15 years old, we have dreams that we're going to be in Led Zeppelin, <laughs> you know, and, um, and you kind of, you know, I, I think the first thing that I started to deal with with stoicism was um, setting your sights on that, right? There's so much uh, self-help out there. If you, if you think about it, it's going to happen, right? And, you know, I've been through a lot of phases in the past where it's been, you know, well, I just think I'm going to be the next guitarist in Def Leppard. I'm going to be the next guitarist in Def Leppard. Or you start to say, if I practice 10 hours a day, if I you know, do X, Y, and Z, that will lead to success. Um, what the Stoics say um, that, that has helped me think is you really don't have control over that, right? Um, you can uh, take a concert violinist or you can get like a singer and they can practice 10 hours a day. They can be ready for the big show, but then their voice is out that day or they have a cold that day or the power goes out. Um, and this is something that I didn't really ever think about. <clears throat> right. And um, so I guess the first thing with stoicism I started to think about is, well, wow, I really can't control the outcome of things, no matter how many people say this is a formula for success. And that's the first thing I really started to address. Um, you know, I think it's been keeping my sanity. <laughs> But I've been passing it on to students, you know, um, not so much as a stoic, like, hey, this is stoic philosophy, but kind of introducing these concepts to them where they could be a little more realistic. They could be hopeful. A lot of times people say, well, stoicism is negative that don't really know stoicism. It's not negative. 
Um, I would say it's a bit more realistic and you can be a little happier knowing what you have control over and what you don't. So that's the first concept of stoicism that really um, has started to help me. Excellent. Well, I, I was introduced to stoicism in the seventh grade by my Latin teacher when I started translating Marcus Aurelius uh, uh, quotations. And I didn't really equate Marcus Aurelius with stoicism until much later in life. That was just really amazing thoughts. A guy that was thinking and talking to himself the way that I think and talk to myself. But the thing that um, I, the, the, the aspects of stoicism that really have helped me in my artistic endeavors is to, well, first of all, Greg, as you said, it's an ancient philosophy of life. And so uh, we, back in the day, philosophy was not an academic pursuit. It was an everyday activity that everyday people engaged in because it was all about, right, exactly. They they, they reinforced each other, you could say. So it's, you know, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be happy? And how do I become more of both? And I think that stoicism endures because it made two assertions. It's built on two assertions that just they happen to get right without having the science or the psychiatry to really fully uh, understand. The first is that we are inherently social creatures and that we survive and thrive only because of that instinct. And the second is this capacity for reason that we um, that we're the only beings on the planet that possess that and that uh, and those two those two assertions are really I think of what stoicism being built on and that to Scott's point um, it's a yes the stoic fork is really important there are some things that are within our control our perceptions and what we decide to do next and there's things that are outside of our control, which is everything else, people, circumstances, situations. I always see a, a kind of middle ground there in, in that there are other things that, that are there are things that are not within our control where we do have opportunities to have influence. And stoicism, and I was, Greg, listening to re-listening to our conversation last time, which included Chris Gill from Oxford University who talked a lot about stoicism as being a philosophy about recognizing and developing our potential with intention, with purpose. And stoicism provides concepts and tools for doing that in every endeavor. Uh, and, you know, creativity is, is a mess, like any endeavor is a messy endeavor fraught with perils and misfortune, trials, tribulations, and vicissitudes. And stoicism tells us we can be happy even when we are getting our butts handed to us. <laughs> so um, I've, you, you guys have already shared some things that make me want to pull some threads immediately. But before we jump into, um, into, into those questions, uh, Scott, starting with you, what, uh, what is creativity and, and what is creativity for? Um, that's a really, you know, um, I loved your post about, uh, is, uh, creativity virtuous. Yeah. Right? Just um, trying to start a fight. No, <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, I, that's a great place to start actually. Cause you know, I walked around thinking about that. Uh, well, what is creativity? Um, I guess, you know, there's so many aspects of it. I don't know where to start. So I guess this thing that I'm doing with the dance company where I'm looking at the fretboard, right. Uh, and I'm responding to dancers and I'm trying to come up with a few things. There's things that uh, it, I'll speak for music. 
because um, there's so many forms of creativity, including invention, right? So um, I've, I decided that there's a few things I'm dealing with. Uh, pitch organization, right? How I organize the pitches. Rhythm, right? The, the rhythm that I play them in. And uh, sonic sound. So it could be a screech, a pick sc scrape. It could be feedback. So there's three things that I was considering in creating um, something to kind of be a soundscape or a sound. It could be a soundscape or um, something that defines uh, the motion to me anyway. So I guess I'm kind of creating that, right? So the audience isn't creating that. I'm giving my interpretation. And of course, the dancers are um, kind of working off of my sounds. If I play a certain chord, they don't need to know what the chord is. They just need to know, uh, you know, I told them you're responding to rhythm, pitch organization, and, and sound or timbre or, um, and I think this is a good example where I started to reevaluate creativity. How is this going to be some kind of uh, piece? Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. No, it definitely speaks to the question. So that, that's excellent. My example. Greg, what about you? Well, so I think that um, creativity is often involved in things where we, we don't normally look for it. It's sort of like, you know, in Plato's Symposium, uh, one of the characters says, we're, we're all lovers, we're all poets, but we have this proper, you know, uh, sort of domain where, where we call it that um, because poetics is, is creative activity or productive activity. Activity. And, you know, uh, love can be, you know, like love in, in an erotic relationship or it can be all sorts of other things. And so we've got this domain where we associate, you know, like we think about the creative arts, right? You know, music, uh, the plastic arts, and, and people talk about innovation as well as being creative. Uh, I think a lot of people, um, you know, think that that writing is a very creative activity and, and really much of it is, you know, I, 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 both of you know this, much of it is just slogging through and getting stuff done. Um, but I think that when we're, when we're doing ethics and we're doing it in a practical way, we're being creative because we have these general principles and then we have to figure out, well, what the hell do I do in this situation with, with this stuff that I've, I've got? And, and we're, you know, it's, we don't usually look at that as creative. We, we, and I think a lot of people get into trouble because they think that you can do ethics or, or run your life well enough just by following a set of rules. And they don't understand that there's, there's interpretation, there's, there's some adaptation required there. And oftentimes it works, like the example Scott was talking about, I think is really good because you often need other people involved in it. Um, just like he's got the dancers and he's playing off of them and they're listening to him and then trying to respond. There's kind of a, a feedback loop. That's the way the people that, you know, are our mentors or the people who are our peers, if they're, if they're any good, you know, some of them we shouldn't listen to, <laughs> but the ones that are any good. Um, they, they can help us out with figuring out, okay, what do I do in this situation? And um, so, you know, we're, we're all creators in, in, in some, some degree. Excellent. Well, I'll just build off that statement because I think that's an essential thing. And, and uh, in, in, in my, in my ebook, which is heavily influenced by my study of stoicism, I say that creativity is simply the act of bringing something forth into the world that didn't exist before. Mm, yeah. We're having a conversation. This is an act of creation. Uh, I woke up this morning and made coffee, an act of creation. I made a sandwich for lunch, an act of creation. I 
created a post on Facebook, an act of creation. Now, I'm not saying that every act of creation is an important act of creation, significant or has uh, value, but creativity is, that's, that's really what it is. And we level up to artistry in a creative endeavor when we do so, when we create with a specific motivation, a specific intention, and a specific aspiration. But the most important thing about the, uh, the, defining a difference to me between creativity and art, artistry, is that art happens in public. Art happens when we say to, to, to others, this here, I made this. Because there has to be, it has to, art is created to, to cause transformation, to cause change, to cause a connection or invite a collaboration. And, and Stoicism seems to have um, a lot to offer those who are on that journey from being creatives, but deciding to level up in any endeavor. I'm not, I don't think artistry is something that's limited to music and painting and sculpting and poetry. It's, it, it can be as spouses, parents, employees, entrepreneurs, um, and anything else. So I've got, I've got a whole list of things already here to talk about. Do you guys want to respond at all to any of the things that we've said about stoicism and creativity before we, we proceed? Um, you know, it's interesting you you kind of said about you know when we get into the i think if i heard you right uh, when we get into the arts um it becomes i don't know if you said this uh it becomes art when you have an audience is that kind yeah. of what you're saying that, um, i think art happens in public otherwise i mean so yes there are people that you know spend their time writing books that never get published and writing poems that never get published and painting and so forth. Um, until the rubber meets the road with your creative output. I mean, cause I think art, what's art for art is for change, creating change. And yes, that can happen internally with the artist for himself. But um, I think there's an element of turning pro uh, that I see as a difference between being a creative and being an artist. Well, this is a great point because this is something I encounter not only with myself, but a lot of peers and a lot of, you know, students um, is the frustration. And I kind of battle with this, the frustration of not being heard. Right. Mm. Um, so now in the time that we have no album sales or you're competing with 8 million other people on Facebook, speak, um, there's, this is where I defer to Greg Sadler because um, uh, I, I'm trying to think as far as stoicism, right? So let's say I put out the best album of my life and nobody buys it and I go into extreme depression. Am I, then, depending on external, you know, like I'll admit it, there's times, especially when I started out, I wanted girls to pay attention to me, right? But um, as that goes on, it kind of becomes a creative process. And you're, Scott, you're right. You're absolutely right. Where you want to make change. You want to make people feel something. You want, um, there's also that whole, um, you know, let, let's be frank, you know, like, tell me I exist. You know, I sold you know, my mom bought my last album, that kind of thing, right? And <laughs> this is a lot of... Your mom bought your album because my mom didn't buy mine. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying in a general in a general sense, um, a lot of people feel frustrated and I've thought about this. So I'm glad you brought this up because I agree with you that um, when you feel the connection with the audience, um, 
you kind of feel like, uh, well, they always said, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, does it, you know, and does it make a sound that nobody hears it, right? I, I've always used that one. So, so I'd be curious to hear what Greg has to say about um, creating art and having an audience in stoicism. Is it, um, uh, if, if I, let, let's say somebody puts an album out and nobody hears or buys it, a couple people listen to it for free and there's no feedback. Yeah. Does that person have a right to feel terrible about it? Um, well, I mean, the Stoics would say um, you can do as you choose, right? But it, it's not good for you uh, in terms of, of you know, your, your development. And it's not good for you just in terms of it feeling crappy to lapse into some major depression. And I think that, you know, adopting a Stoic perspective can, can certainly help with that because, you know, you, you look at Epictetus, right? We've talked about that famous example of uh, the musician who's anxious. Why is he anxious? Because he's worried about what, you know, he, he knows that he, he can deliver reliably because he's got technique. He's been practicing and practicing. Um, he does just fine when he's in his room by himself. But when he gets in front of the crowd, uh, is he, you know, is he going to be able to get the response he wants? And, you know, Epictetus says, oh, you poor bastard. You don't understand what a crowd is, you know. Uh, they're totally unpredictable. You know, they they might have had a bad hamburger or something, and they're not feeling it, or or they they just saw another show, or they've got their minds on something else. Maybe they won't even show up. So there's there's all of those, those sorts of things. We could come up with like a million different examples. And um, I mean, the Stoics would say that that um, so there's two things. You know, they would say it's not a good thing for us to be so emotionally invested in the result. Um, you know, we should be focusing on, on the actual production that we're engaged in. Um, the other thing, though, is, is stoicism. You know, a lot of times people will present, well, here's what the stoics say. Yeah, and a lot of times that's for the sage, and none of us are the sage. So we got to think about how do we deal with it when we actually catch ourselves getting sad or depressed or angry or any of these other uh, emotions that, that come with it. And we also have to be on the lookout for becoming irrationally elated. The Stoics would say, you know, we, we get the big break and suddenly, you know, you're on the cover of Rolling Stone. The Stoics would say, OK, feel good about that, but don't feel so good that, you know, when you're not on the cover next month, you feel like crap. That's, yeah, it's not a rational way to to behave, you know. Um, yeah. Interesting. So uh, uh, this is uh, just a new revelation to me. But I, I mean, I, I so. I started applying my stoic study to mm -hmm. my career fairly late. Um, I remember when I decided to turn pro and become a full-time professional performing musician, um, I was just so thrilled that I could, you know, that yeah. I, and I was doing it. I was doing something that all of my friends, who most of whom were way more talented than I was, um, but you know, were afraid to do or, uh, you know, not willing to take the chance. And I, and I did it, I did it for a long time. And I always felt like I'm going to do this and I'm never going to become one of those old, bitter, jaded guys. That's, you know, always <laughs> complaining about, you know, not getting a break. And then, but as, you know, as I like started to come into my late thirties, forties, I, I found myself like becoming one of those guys. I was like, this is not going to work. I can't, yeah. This is not why I'm doing this. And so I pulled out Marcus Aurelius and then it was like, oh, that's right. This is this is the way life is. And it's 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 my and you have both touched on this, and I want to pull on this thread for a little while now. 
uh, and have you guys respond, but it's, it's the attachment. It's now you cannot be an artist and not project an, an outcome. You can't wish for a result. You want your music to be heard. You want your audience to appreciate what you do, but you can't attach yourself or your worth or the value of your art to that, uh, to, to the success or failure of the, the desired outcome because mm-hmm. it's outside of your control. So um, stoicism is very, like a lot of other disciplines, very good about having you come back. You're here now. What are you doing now? What can you know? How can how can you change? How can you perceive this in a way that misfortune or obstacles or problems or challenges become opportunities to do what? To employ your creative instincts and come up with another way to connect, collaborate, and communicate what you're trying to uh, you know employ as an artist. You know, I, I think it's it's uh, it's very useful to do that sort of bringing things back to the present and restoring perspective. But um, the other thing that I think has to go along with that for any sort of effective long-term practice is um, analysis of, of why, and this is why Epictetus says, you know, the first uh, discipline is the discipline of desire and aversion. And by that, he doesn't just mean changing it. He means looking at it and saying, well, what do I desire? You got to start from where you are. And so, you know, like one distinction that you could make in terms of, you're right, it's difficult to do anything without <clears throat> almost naturally extending our desire out into those 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 things and, and wanting, say, an audience to respond a certain way. And you can say, well, why do you want the audience to respond that way? Do you want them to respond that way because what you're doing is intrinsically valuable and you actually, you know, are not only believe that because it's easy to believe bullshit, right? uh, uh, but but that actually, that actually is the case. Or are you doing that because you want to be the big guy on the stage and that's really your desire? And, 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 if, and if you can't admit that to yourself, there's no way to make progress, right? Because if you're, if you're constantly repressing the fact that you really uh, just desire people you know, clapping and, and uh, people lining up uh, outside the backstage door or something like that, well, you're, 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 you're really uh, at a loss then until you come to admit it. And then you can start to analyze, okay, where did I get that from? You know? and, and stoicism, in a, in a way, is kind of a, a form of analysis a way of, of, you know, it's an apparatus for looking at where our desires and aversions, our emotional responses, our thoughts come from. And you're right, that is within the realm of our control. It's not so direct as just, you know, snapping our fingers and saying, all right, now now I realize that, you know, I was trying to, I don't know, uh, uh, please my dad this whole time. I, I just won't do that anymore. <laughs> you can't just snap your fingers and stop it, but you can start working on it bit by bit. What is what is that Epictetus quote, uh, Greg, about working on yourself daily? Can you have that one top of mind? Progress is made. Well, he's, he's got a couple. Um, that I, I, the one that I think of is the one in terms of anger, where he says, uh, "You know, try to go a day without being angry, and then good luck with uh, that." Make yeah, well, it's tough. <laughs> but then, if you've gone a day without being angry, now you get to try to go another day, and you keep track of it. And he says, by the time you get to thirty days, now it's time for you to you know make a sacrifice and celebrate. I've never gone like a week. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's I just pulled it up. It's the one I was thinking of. Is progress is achieved 
is, I'm sorry, progress is not achieved by luck or accident, but by working mm. on yourself daily. And this is the work. So building on what Greg just said, which was, which was a really excellent point. Um, I think that one of the things that is so powerful about applying stoic concepts and, and tools to artistic endeavors is that it, it forces you or, or encourages you to be operating in alignment with your virtue, your excellence of character, and it is uh, encouraging you to develop your potentiality in, 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 in endeavors that matter and that are involved in social in a social um, situation. And so speaking to the things that Greg was just saying, and, and this is at the heart of, uh, of Creative on Purpose, uh, is you know really being clear and dialing in the reasons for the work that you're doing. And if the reasons are, oh, yeah. I'm super passionate about music, okay, <laughs> good luck, because passion is not going to power you through the challenges of a musical career. And it's, not, it's, a, it's a finite resource. And when it's gone, you become the bitter jaded guy in the green room complaining about never catching a break. If you're doing it for fame and fortune, again, Good luck with that, because that happens to 0.0001% of those that enter the business. So much better to think about, well, what's music for? Music is a language. Music languages are used to communicate and connect and collaborate. So if you go in and start thinking about developing your, your musical voice and the, the message or the emotion that you want to be delivering and, you know, keep intentionally working on those kind of uh, more important and higher reasons, maybe the results come. Maybe, maybe, maybe you become uh, rich and famous. You'll certainly develop more passion by working purposefully in an endeavor than you will working passionately on endeavor, you, you, much more so than you would become more purposeful by working passionately at an endeavor is, is would be my argument. And so I, the, those two threads, reasons versus results, I think is kind of an, uh, an inherent part of the stoic um, message. You know, don't don't attach yourself to results. Uh, apply your, yourself to the reasons for what you're doing and, and developing yourself. And then that argument uh, that I was making about purpose versus passion. So, Scott, we haven't heard for you, from you in a little while. So let's uh, let's go ahead and turn it over to you for reflections on what Greg and I have just talked about. So I, th uh, I think um, so much good stuff. One of the things is, um, well, we talked about anger. That's something we should actually discuss in the business of music. Mm. Um, I just start here. So um, anger is, uh, showing anger in the business is um, part of uh, your character that's unappealing, right? So um, if you're getting hate texts from people, hey, you had this gig you didn't call me for. You got this other bass player, a drummer, a keyboardist. And people that are responding in an angry way, you're going to tend not to call them for work, right? Uh, or somebody that's envious, that, uh, and it's something you don't want to be as well, but say you get some kind of gig 